I stand firmly in the fact that I'm one of the best to ever do this. For my city, for my coast, for my culture. This is my declaration. This is the best rapper in LA podcast. 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 What up, though? Best rapper in LA podcast. This is the episode about Varsity Blues. Welcome to Varsity Blues. My personal therapy EP for color boys. Varsity Blues. Varsity Blues. It is 2001, 2002 era. So what I was about 24-ish. I think some of these songs take place from 99 um, till about 2002 when this came out. The cover, I believe, was done by Dan Monic. Why did I name it Varsity Blues? Um, definitely experiencing my first uh, bout of depression during this era. So it was um, expression of that. And during this time, I watched a lot of movies. I had a DVD, um, portable DVD player, and one of the first DVDs I bought with Varsity Blues, the movie, the whipped cream bikini. Come here. The heavy set gentleman was funny. It was just, it was just I love football. Hey, Let's roll! <laughs> Always wish I could have played in, in high school and college and those things. So it was just, it was football, some chicks, some 90210 drama, some drama that wasn't related to crack cocaine, domestic violence, and gangbanging, really. So it was drama outside of my drama, and I love that. That's why I read comic books. That's why I enjoyed 90210, Melrose Place, those things. I was ridiculed. But it was an escape for me. And, you know, there's no real human existence without drama. So the drama was light and the curls and not making the team, not bail money and gunshot wounds and shit like that. So this was supposed to be, the. Um, this was the cover. The cover, if you can't see it, of course you can't see it, but it's me standing on Pico Boulevard in front of Martin's Records. This is where I hung out, where I, I, I grew up off and on. I went to preschool across the street from this record store. My dad, I found out as I got older, went to this record store, one is called Cranes. And I don't know the whole story, the legend or the story I get somewhere, and forgive me to anyone who's related to these individuals, but the guy who owned it before Walker Martin uh, got in a little debt with Walker Martin. So Walker Martin took over the store. And he really wasn't a music guy, but he was. He loved music, but he wasn't in the music business per se. He was a hustler. And he took it over and became a father figure to me of, of sorts and many others, Double K, so many other, you know, that's one went there, Chase Infinite from Cell Scientific, uh, so many, Cron Don, uh, so many Los Angeles hip hop, I guess now OGs had come through those doors and he was a guiding light and a force. He always had a, a fit the Hennessy, two ounces of weed and, you know, two, three thousand dollars in cash and a, a or he was a he was in the service, so he had a government issued or a military issued firearm as well, or something like that. Military class caliber weapon at all times. Jovial, rotund uh, man as he got older. Um, 
I loved him. So this was for me to take this picture was like, this is my center, the center of my universe. It was a very grounding, a safe place as I was experiencing all this mental anguish and turmoil. This is after I've had my first nervous breakdown. I was living in Tucson at the time. I moved to Tucson uh, to get out of LA because it was crazy for me. And I needed a break. And I just found that my money could go further. I lived in Tucson. I had no, this is my first time. I hadn't had, I couldn't afford an apartment on a rapper's salary. I lived in a one bedroom that had uh, a pool and all kind of shit that I never could afford in LA. $450. I think my, my grandparents, someone still had to co-sign for me because I had no credit. And I moved to Tucson. It was easy because it was still out the 10. Like the directions to my first apartment were get on the 10 east, exit for eight hours, exit Grant Road, make a left, get to Alvernon, make a left. I'm on the right. Anyone who wanted to come visit me from LA, which no one ever did, could have got there with those directions. I had no idea that there was a such thing as poor white people or a white ghetto. So I get there and it's, it's a, you know, it's methy. I didn't know what meth was. We didn't have meth in LA. We didn't have a meth problem at the time. I don't know if we do now, but we didn't have a, we had a crack epidemic. We didn't have a meth epidemic. And I went to check out the place. I saw white people. I thought, oh shit, well, this is cool. This is a nice neighborhood. I just, I'm at, you know, I hadn't really experienced poor white people at this time. So I see white people. I think it's an affluent neighborhood. Stupid me. First night I spent there, someone knocks on my door. They're trying to sell me a new trash can and chicken and breast and steak that they stole from the store. So I buy the chicken breast and the trash can. Through my time staying there, I had once had a woman just walk in and sit on the couch in the middle of me and my homie rolling, talking. It's like, yo, where's such and such at? I was like, who? You know, let's say, where's Johnny? I was like, Johnny? Johnny doesn't live here. I don't give a fuck. Just give me some shit so I can get the fuck out of here. Sitting at my kitchen table, walked in my house, sat down at my kitchen table and demanded I serve her some meth. Wild. Um, but I thought it was player because I could use my cordless phone and still be in the pool at the same time and take my business calls and distributors call selling little money. I mean, little little music making money um, to, you know, you do had a distributor called TRC. TRC was... I don't know what the fuck it stands for. It's based in Burlingame, California. Peanut Butter Wolf worked there originally. A lot of people worked there over the years. Rasco, a lot of them used that place working there smartly to get their record labels or their artists or their career off the ground because they distributed records worldwide. So if they pressed up a 12-inch, they would be the, they had the in with all the... They were the ones calling the store, selling them records, and they had become friends with some of these stores. So they're like, yo, I got a new record too. Would you pick up a couple of mine? And then boom, just because they got a homie on the other end of the line in Japan, their records are going everywhere. Meanwhile, I'm standing out on a street corner or in the, on a cordless phone in a pool in Tucson. I will move back to L.A. at one point after I talk about it here Um the girl who I wrote First Love about, she passed away and I got the call from my, my homie T. Smith in Tucson. And I didn't know anybody. And I just, I literally, this was a girl I was in love with. My first, like, true, true love. True love, like, where we had some, inter it was um, kind of, kind of returned. She did, she had a boyfriend at the time. She didn't tell me, but it was still kind of, we had a relationship. We would slow dance in her apartment 
all night and listen to music and like cuddle and snuggle and you make out and hold hands and smoke cigarettes and beaties and Newports and all the, you know, romantic ghetto shit for me or kid shit, bad kid shit. Listen to Camp Low. Um, sing rap to each other. Love Jones soundtrack, Pulp Fiction soundtrack to give you a, a, a time and a space feeling like Dancing a Preacher's Man with her is one of my, still one of my favorite memories. Billy Ray was a preacher's son And when his daddy would visit he'd come along When they gather around and started talking That's when Billy would take me walking Out through the backyard we go walking and she, when I got the call, she died. I kind of just walked out like a zombie into the middle of the street because Tucson, no was out. I remember just, I think I may have sat there for a while. I, I don't know if I wanted to die. I don't know what it was. And I just looked up at the moon and there was a halo, like just a perfect circle of clouds with the moon in the middle, no clouds and clouds all around the full moon. At that moment, I was like, I got to go home. No one here, there's no one around me that felt that pain. Like, it's the beauty of community. I think we as human beings are so far removed from community and human life. So I was like, I gotta go home. I packed my shit up. I went back, back to this area off of Pico. I got my first apartment a couple blocks up from this record store, back to this record store. And you can see all about the Benjamins posted in the window. Um, I'm wearing a Letterman's jacket. Uh, I ran my first Living Legends Letterman's jacket because, like I said, I never, I never, I never got to play any sports. I probably mentioned it before, but I lettered in badminton. That was the one thing I lettered in in, in freshman high in school. And after that, rap and we definitely took over. I played badminton because it was mandatory at the time that you take physical education. They needed people on the badminton team. They had girls on the badminton team, and I sport that I could do high. We sucked. We were a black high school, and we sucked. There was also no one other on, no one else on the team really. So I lettered. I got a letter, varsity letter, but I never collected my varsity letter in badminton. So back to varsity blues. I made my own letter, Miss Jack, and I made a Living Legends one. And I also, and I made both of these in Tucson um, at a place on the south side. It was really cheap, um, but I made a blue, Crip Blue, Dodger Blue, MC, Merce Carter. Merce Crip in Mid-City, so many acronyms, but the MC and I'm an MC on the front, Merce on the left, or yeah, well, yeah, left breast, uh, a varsity, says varsity on the right sleeve, and on the back it says Mid-City's Finest. I'm wearing a blue Dodger hat. I am wearing blue uh, Jordan 1s that had just dropped. This is what turned me on the dunks. These were the first with the SB Nike Zoom sole in them. First, second Jordans I bought. Uh, first, uh, I bought every every blue Jordans they bought, I would, I would buy them. So I, did, I think at the time they were the 13s and these were the only ones that were issued in blue. And these were a reissue of the first um, Air Force One, so Air Force Jordan One. So it was probably... Like I said, between 99, 2000, you shoe aficionados can figure that out. Um, but they were so fucking comfortable. Um, but yeah, blue shoes, blue shoelaces. There's also a guy, we had a party at some point. And he, no, not that these weren't the shoes, but your people used to tell me, oh, watch how you dress. I'm a motherfucker. I've been dressing like this anyway. So still me, half a crip, fake ass cripping, 
early in the morning, someone, I think Dan Monick took this picture right after we did the felt. This is right after felt one. And I don't know when we're going to tell the felt story. I don't know if we're going to tell it with slug, but telling the felt story really has no effect on this right now. I think we might have to tell the felt story before we tell um, into the beginning, but we'll see. Inside of the cover, I had, I was called Varsity Blues for color boys who've considered suicide when the Hennessy and chronic ain't enough after the you know, uh, for colored girls who consider suicide when the rainbow isn't enough. Book. Um, inside, I have a, I think it's supposed to be a suicide note. I haven't read this in years. So, dearest family and friends, I am leaving you all this note as an explanation for the end of the beginning. By the time you read this, I will have, I read this task will have already been completed. So this task will already be completed, although this body of work may not surface until late February sometime next year. Please rest assured that I am now in a much better place and have left far behind me the woe and the torment that brought on the brought on by the struggle of the young black male in the 21st century of America. The music that accompanies this note embodies the emotional battle that I have been fighting for the past two years. Hopefully it provides some of you with the strength to overcome some of the demons that I couldn't conquer in parentheses. I think it was poorly written on purpose. Um, yeah, me smoking an American spirit ultralight under, like we lift up the CD and holding a fit the Hennessy. It's about six in the morning, smoking and drinking. That was my M.O. from probably 99 to 2001. Yeah, alcoholic still. And uh, I think I was getting ready to get off the liquor, though. Uh, so, yeah. And on the back is my girlfriend at the time, but she wasn't my girlfriend when these songs were recorded. First Latina I ever dated. At that point, maybe, in my eyes, maybe the hottest girl I dated. Most exotic as... Um, Many um, American men like to say highly offensive. Um, so I'm joking, but in jest. But uh, I think she was South, she was El Salvadorian and, and Filipina. So it was, you know, definitely a unique mixture and a beautiful mixture of human being. And she was young, I was young. We were in love. First song is Varsity Blues, produced by Mums the Word, who produced Merch Rules the World. It's when you start to get a gut, and you don't go out as much. You and your old homeboys barely even stay in touch. You be doing too much. You trying to build a career, got a one-bedroom and a fridge full of beer. You smoking cigarettes like it's going out. That song was recorded in his studio in Midtown on San Vicente and La Brea at this studio went too often and it's definitely still the era where I was recording and had a gun on me and uh just about me living you know I walk back and forth the studio I think we talked about like I'm drunk walking pistol packing backpacking rapper because to go from Pico and Burnside to San Vicente and La Brea is still kind of risky being me and being friends with the people I was friends with uh the courses for my varsity blues, all of my dudes who hustle hard never learned the meaning to lose. For the varsity blues, to my rips and down moves who hustle hard never learned the meaning to lose. Varsity blues for my backpacking crews who hustle hard never learned the meaning to lose. It's more than varsity blues to my rips and down moves 
Who hustle hard and never learn the meaning of blues It's for the varsity blues To all of y'all who pay dues Still hustle hard and never learn the that was uh, definitely, I guess, foreshadowing of the pay dues to come. For all y'all pay dues and hustle hard, never learned the mean to lose, just not giving up. Um, right around this time, I had made the agreement with LP to do an album for Def Jux. Def Jux wasn't Def Jux yet. I think they had only put out the Def Jux Volume 1, uh, the weird compilation that had Cannibal Ox and some new co-flow or LP songs. I think that was it. Um, but so that was like, don't give up, because I just like, I'm like, okay. Like Japan was just still kind of popping and Def Jux was about to start popping. I was feeling myself and I was, I was happy that I didn't kill myself or give up. So this is around time of my first nervous breakdown. So my first nervous breakdown like this, I was driving back from Tucson. The second time I moved there um, was, I have a song on here. It's kind of hard because the songs aren't in order uh, chronologically, but uh, County Blues is about me going out with a couple members of Living Legends. It's about being on medication for the first time to deal with my anxiety. Uh, and I, I thought I was having a heart attack. I was having a panic attack. I just used some of the money I got from LP to open up a record store in Tucson, downtown Tucson, where I eventually met Shock G, um, where I made friends that I still have to this day. Um, um, you know, I'm still hearing people coming to my record store. You know, Slobby Robbie, who has this, a Netflix special, was a 15-year-old kid in Tucson. who used to come to my record store and hang out all day. Uh, yeah. And, and driving home, I had, a, I had a nervous breakdown. And I had to pull over at a truck stop or a rest stop. The phone wasn't working because I wanted to call 911 because I thought I was having a heart attack. Weeks before that, I had been restless, sick. My mom was like, Drink, I've been drinking castor oil. Uh, I couldn't sleep. I was just didn't want to sleep in, in, in my bed. I had a thing um, for, for sleeping in whatever beds for that reason. I slept with the girl that I was seeing at the time who had cheated on me with my best friend, meaning my best friend came to LA. I was in Tucson, my old best friend from high school. And I said, yo, you should uh, probably, you need someone to pick you up from the airport. I'll send my homegirl or my, you know, she wasn't my girlfriend. She was my homegirl, but I should have just made her my girlfriend and committed to her. She was a good girl. She's, you know, girl that was on uh, Merch Rules the World, who said the line on the on the uh, number six song. He hung out with her and did God knows what. What he copped to was one day he called me and told me, yo, I just want to let you know if you love that girl or something, like, you should still love her. But uh, she uh, she kissed me. We kissed before I left. I left her at the airport. She dropped me off at the airport and I made out with that's I got him to give her I got her to give him a ride to the airport. That's what it was. And they hung out maybe a couple of times and asked her to then after them, I had her asked her to hang out with him or something. Yeah, I kind of set myself up for it. I don't know of all the details, but they kissed. They made out. And um maybe they did more. But she knew that I was seeing other people. Um, this is the beginning of my bad man stories. And you know, but I wasn't committed to her and I was open with her. So I guess that was okay. So she showed me and it broke my heart. 
Um, and she used to fly down to Tucson to see me and spend weekends with me. So I didn't want to sleep in that bed anymore. Um, I was still a business owner. I was working on releasing my first nation nationally distributed record on Def Jux. I was under a lot of stress. Um, flying out, flying made me nervous. And I was flying out. Usually when we were touring with Living Legends, I'd fly out with everybody. But now living in Tucson, I would have to do two or three flights to connect with them. And this is 2001, like I said, 2002. Southwest wasn't as great as it is now, but it was still decent. But I'd have to have a connect, couple connected flights and flying by myself was nerve-wracking. During this time is when I canceled my first tour. Every, my first time I didn't cancel any shows. In Tucson, I was skating. I rolled my ankle. Uh, so that was more stress. And then I got to the airport on crutches, and it was winter in Japan. And the label really wanted me to come out to promote the new record um, that I was releasing with them, a compilation record. And I got to the gate, and I just started shaking on my crutches. And I was like, I'm not going. And I called them. I was like, I can't come. I sent an email, and I was like, I can't come. And I still didn't know what was happening to me, but I just couldn't come. And then I went back home, and so I was, I was sleeping in. I had a roommate. I was living with one of my best friends, DJ Herm, and I was sleeping in the front room. I wouldn't sleep in my bed because it reminded me of the girl. Uh, it was, I was just in a bad place, man, mentally, like sleeping or not sleeping in front of the TV, trying to take castor oil because I felt like I was having numbness and I was constipated and all these weird things. Just, Every symptom, if there was no WebMD back then for me to check or I didn't know of it, we we're still on dial-up. <laughs> maybe, maybe DSL. I went home for Thanksgiving and I'm driving and that's when I felt like I was having a heart attack. I pull over, call 911, phone's dead. I get in, start speeding. I think it's trying to get to Blythe, California in between Tucson and uh, LA on the 10. And I get to Blythe are almost to Blythe, are coming up over the hill. I see uh, flashing lights. The police are pulling me over because I'm speeding. I'm going 90s, 100, trying to get to the hospital. I think I'm dying. Uh, they pull me over. They handcuff me. I tell them, please just call an ambulance. I think I'm having a heart attack. They check my car for drugs, of course, because I have a new Cadillac, a 96 Cadillac. This is 99, 2000, relatively new Cadillac, two-door Clean as fuck, all original, no rims, Dayton's. Um, I did buy some Vogue's and like kept the original rims that came with it. You know, ETC, top of level, automatic trunk. It was a nice, nice car, V8, North Star. So I ha have to have guns. I have to have drugs in the car. I'm a rapper they never heard of. They find some pills I bought from a truck stop to keep me awake that I had taken. Probably not a good idea on when you're having a panic attack. Uh, or you're, you know, suffering from anxiety. So I, my heart's racing. And they're like, it's probably because of these pills. Like, basically, just belittling me. The ambulance comes. They told my, they, they impound my car for, for speeding or whatever. Yeah, so I had to pay to get it out. I had to pay to go to, to go to the hospital. They give me all the questions. They give me the EKG. They're like, you're fine. I was like, I'm not fine. I can't drive. I had to call my mother, like a small child. Like I said, at this point, maybe um. 22, 23 years old, my mother and my stepfather, who I'm just getting to know, drive out to Blythe in the middle of the night. Imagine a mother, now I can imagine more getting a call that I'm in a hospital, something's wrong with my chest, I'm having chest pains, I don't know what's going on. She comes back, my stepfather drives his car, me and my mom, he takes me to impound, to get my car out the impound, pay the money, 
We drive back to LA. My mother's like literally holding my hand and like singing to me the whole like lullabies, gospel hymns the whole time. And I'm just like, my eyes are rolling back in my head. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm I'm out of here. I'm checked out. I'm gone. I'm fucked up. And we get home. I kind of get on my feet. I'm supposed to go to, to New York with the Masterminds for Kamani, my homeboy, to do a, a remix and a video. I don't know what we're supposed to do. I was supposed to fly to New York. And I, I say, okay, I'll be there. I've got a flight in the morning. That night, I try to get up and I... I go to the movies at the Beverly Center. For some reason, I walk. I walk to the Beverly Center to see this movie, uh, Bringing Out the Dead. Heat, humidity, moonlight, all the elements in place for a long weekend. I was good at my job. There were periods when my hands moved with the speed and skill beyond me. How long have you been doing this? Five years. Wow, you must have seen some things, huh? It's about ambulances and being a paramedic, and that shit fucked me up. If you have anxieties, then, yo, I was fucked up. So I ended up walking uh, up La Cienega to Sunset, down Sunset to the Seventh Vale, which I now know since my son's into rock and roll, been playing, and girls, he's three years old. Um, we I played him Girls, Girls, Girls by Motley Crue. So Seventh Fail, I believe, is on the, 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 car, the strip club they're talking about. At this point, I don't know how, maybe walk out one, a mile and a half. I'm like, maybe I can get some liquor and calm down and get a lap dance. I go in there, buy a lap dance, and the lady's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You need to get out of here. You look crazy. Like, basically, you know, I feel like strippers are part therapists anyway. At this point, I still haven't been to therapy, haven't been to the doctor yet. I go walk out of there, start walking down La Brea, finally get to La Brea, Sun, um, La Brea and Fountain, and I call a cab. And I get home to my mom's house, I go upstairs, I get in the bed, I don't get out of the bed for three days. You know, use the restroom, go back to the bed. I don't know what's wrong with me. Finally, I go to the doctor, they say there's nothing wrong with me, you're having panic attacks. Then they start prescribing the Xanax and everything and nothing's working. Uh, I gotta go back to Tucson and run my business. On the way down, I bring my homeboys, I'm not driving by myself. I had a speeding ticket, I had to pay a stop this pay, I think I stopped this pay the speeding ticket coming back from Buckeye. Heading towards back towards Tucson, my engine blows up. Uh, Starts smoking. Turns out, costing me seventy five hundred dollars. It's because I believe I was putting synthetic oil in there. You're not supposed to put synthetic, or I wasn't. I was putting the wrong oil in it when I bought the car from this used salesman from a parking lot in uh, Central, in South Central. It's a parking lot sale. I bought this of Cadillac from. Uh, Twenty eight thousand dollars. I think thirteen percent interest on the loan. Horrible, horrible. I got swindled. No one told me what kind of oil to put on it. And at this point, only old black men, white and, and a white man and, and Jewish grandmothers drive this 96 Cadillac Eldorado. Like it's not a hot car. Everyone, rich, young, black and rap people are driving Lexuses. You know, they're not driving grandma Cadillacs. So no one was around to tell me what kind of oil to put. My grandfather loved my car to put it, to put it like that. My 70 year old grandfather loved my car. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. My friends thought it was funny and nice. Engine blew up. So now it's just more stress. And I still don't know what's wrong with me. These are all things I talk about in the first 
I don't know when I reconnected with Belief, but I believe it was around the time he gave me the beat for God's work because I was doing that. But Belief is my friend from high school who has gone on to be an amazing producer right now. I think he's producing a band called The Head and the Heart. Uh, he's produced for Sia, Kelly Clarkson, but he started doing stuff for me, Vortal Mega, C-Ray's Walls. We went to high school together. My first um, Jewish friend, uh, one of our first, I would say, like, you know, definitely just music friends that we really bonded on music and started creating together. We had a, a DJ crew called Stylist Groove. We would make mixtapes. Our rival crew was Undisputed Champs, which was um, Double K. Double K and DJ Jedi's crew and, and Thess One, but we were all friends. We were like a healthy, fun rivalry. And we'd make mixtapes. We'd sell them at Triple Five Soul, Union, uh, Beat Nonstop. And I'd sell them hand in hand. I might sell 20, 10, 15 of these. My friends would buy them and a couple of stores would put them in. I don't know if anyone ever bought, if you have any of those, you're fucking lucky. I, I don't even have any. But uh, he was the first person I knew with a four track recorder. Uh, we would try to sample, loop things, drums, and, and then, you know, rap over me, Eli Scarabo, spend the weekend at his house. So I reconnected with him. He went to NYU. He was, I think he was interning at Electric Ladyland. I think this was in the D'Angelo Voodoo days. And uh, he gave me this beat for God's work and this beat for Belize Blues, which I think is probably one of the best beats on here. My favorite, one of my favorite. I don't say best. One of my favorite, and uh, I'm rapping the best. The first verse is about uh, rappers who I was having problems with. One particular LA rapper cornered me uh, at a show at the Knitting Factory, which was popping uh, right across the street from the Roosevelt Hotel. Used to be a shoe store, a movie theater, and the bottom floor was the Knitting Factory. 
venue or Immortal Technique, MC Chris, Cannibal Ox, all kind of people performed there over the years. Jedi Mind Tricks, a legendary venue. And I showed up, I think it was for a Cannibal Ox show. And uh, all the LA rappers come out. They don't support each other. It's kind of like that in every hometown. But when an out-of-town group that's popping comes, they all want to come to be seen, being friends with these people. I was on the same label with Wardle and and uh, Vast at the time. You know, not a lot of people knew it because the record hadn't So this says Varsity Boots came out December 20th, 2002. So this is right before End of the Beginning is about to drop. I don't know Homeboy's going to be there. We've always had problems. Uh, I don't know if we talked about this. This is a rapper that I started battling one day. Somebody I grew up listening to from the L.A. scene. We just exploded into a battle at Soundcheck at Maritime Hall. I think it may have been for Broke Ass Summer Jam. And uh, I was like, let's do it. Let's go. Let's go. Let's battle. You think you're dope? You start off the head. He started freestyling. I started freestyling. Whatever I was saying was struck a nerve. Um, and I, I didn't know because I wasn't friends with the dude. They were all, that's the thing. My crew, they were all friends with, with the people that I didn't like. There was no, um, you don't fuck with them, so I don't fuck with them type of vibes. And I, didn't, I never liked that. If you don't fuck with somebody and we're, and we're family, we're crew, I try not to fuck with them. Or I used to back then. So he knew what I was saying was very insensitive and volatile. So he picked me up and ran me, like literally ran me out of there. And I'm like over his shoulder, like, fuck you, blah, 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 blah. Probably a couple cousins in there. And um, I'm like, meet me at the Phoenix Hotel tonight. That's where we all stayed. And we can finish this. I don't give a fuck. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'll battle you, put up any money, hundred. I think it was like $150. We're trying to put up some money. I was like, yo, I'll see you there. And then um, I think they told me when I got downstairs and I was like, oh, shit, I, not that I felt, you know, I still didn't really have a lot of love for the dude. So I was like, ah, but I, you know, you know, you don't disrespect the dead. That's nah, you know. So I see him at this show. And he, for me, if you, if you know me, like I, I love getting violent to the point where it's scary for me. I don't. I try not to. I'll avoid physical altercation at all costs if I can. Not because I'm I'm fearful of what I might do. Not because I'm fearful of what happened to me. I enjoy getting hit in the face. Um, you know, Slug has seen it. A couple people have seen it. Um, I like fighting, but I don't like fighting if that makes sense. So I'm like, I'm like, I let the dude back me in a corner. I'm like, look, bro. And uh then he started to threaten people I knew. And I was like, you know, for me, you know, this person's like, I know this person from this blood gang. I know this person from this crib gang. And I was like, I don't know any bloods. I don't know any random crips. All I know is the crips that live in my neighborhood. Like, and if you take it there, let's not take it there. I was like, my name is Nicholas Carter. Your government name is this, this, this. You live at this address. I will pull up to your house and we can run the fair one. This is a place of business. I'm not trying to fight you. My homies are on stage right now. I want to go rap with them. They're from New York. I haven't seen them in a couple months. Fuck out of here with all the bullshit. If you want to fight me, I'll pull up. Call me anytime. I'm not going to run from you, but I'm not going to fight you here, man. But I'm not about to let you threaten people, and I'm not about to let you continue talking to me like that. So what do you want to do? And then it kind of 
dissipated after that. Because I was like, I don't, I don't want to talk about homies. I'm not a gangbanger, bro. But if you start talking about gangbangers, then I'm going to call the only gangbangers I know. And it's not a game. Like, and I'm sure your people aren't a game. So let's just, me, you, two men, we have a problem. This venue where we all like to do shows and perform isn't the place. Let's take it somewhere where we can be. And I said, I'll meet you in your front yard by myself. No burners, no nothing. And we can run it up. Me, you in front of all your homies. And I think that kind of was a sobering moment for everyone. And we kind of just left it there. So that was my thing. It's like, I appreciate this ability to make money. I have homies who don't have these opportunities. I'm not trying to fuck it off. Oh, if I wanted to fight motherfuckers and, and, and get into beefs, I would have stayed with them. It'd be disrespectful to what my homies do, which is full-time cripping and, and, and shit. For me to bring that energy, I have a place to get that energy off. And I chose to walk away from that. So why would I bring that energy to rap? And that's kind of what the first verse is saying. After that incident, I was like, bro, like when you see me, just don't say shit. I don't got shit to say to you. We're both rappers, man. Let's just make money, entertain, be artists and fucking. But if you want to get street or gully or whatever, let's do it. But let's not do it in our place of work. It'd be better if we just agree to disagree. The next verse, there's another verse in here about me having kind of a little bit of money for the first time, especially living in Tucson, getting followed around stores by white people thinking I'm trying to steal. I have no business in the television section or wherever the fuck I was in, in the in the Sean John's, in the Macy's men's store at the fucking Beverly Center, getting followed around just for being black. And it was um, frustrating because I did have money to actually do shopping when I didn't used to. And I didn't used to, you know, I used to shop on Melrose where people looked like me would shop. But now, like, you know, with the Sean John and different things, like I'm going places. I want to buy nicer things and, or, you know, rap is in nicer places. Rap is growing up. So not used to seeing, you know, there's no more Mr. J's or uh, whatever the fucking hip hop spots were in your local mall. Now you got to go to Macy's Men's Store if you want to get the Sean John, the Rock Aware, the FUBU, the whatever. And I was still, you know, I'm a black kid, even though I'm in the underground scene, I still am wearing hood shit. So I want to be ghetto fabulous, you know? Anyway, that was that story. And when Nona Ryder gets name dropped, and I think the, the fourth pentium process, the new millennium, we're on our fourth pentium. That shit made me laugh like a motherfucker. Referencing technology is the quickest way to date yourself. Sports teams and technology just don't. Movies, you know, it's art. So kind of, but like, Sports team and technology, just try not to like drop a sidekick, razor phone, all those things. You know, even pla social media platforms. Ugh. Ugh. Cringy. But if with the new millennium, we're on our fourth pentium. Like we're supposed to be so evolved. That's I was referencing the fourth pentium as the height of evolution. So we got the Lexus um versus the first second verse is about dudes who I'm still, I would walk from Cloverdale and Pico to Burnside and Pico to my apartment with the burner um, a lot of the times because we were definitely having a, a war um, in our neighborhood between two bordering crip gangs. My homies are on one side and people on the other side. I don't, I didn't know anyone, uh, but they knew me. We, you know, they definitely knew that I hung out with those people. They knew my car, but I wouldn't drive my Cadillac from Burnside to Cloverdale was ridiculous. And plus, you could get pulled over in that short amount of time in that four blocks. So it wasn't worth it. 
So people would stop and hit me up. And I always never, I never understood why people in cars would try to fight with people at the bus stop or people that were walking. You have a place to go and you have a way nicer car. And, and maybe this was written before I got my car, but I think this sentiment carries over from then. I just never understood why you are focused on someone. I get you focused. Maybe you think I'm going to shoot you. But if I, if I don't have a problem with you, why would you have a problem with someone walking? Especially in Los Angeles, where a car is a status symbol. If we're in New York, whatever, maybe, I don't know the politics, but for me, it was just always like, all right, but you want to bully someone because, you know, a lot of people that buy fancy things are insecure. So because I'm not looking at your car in admiration and envying you, I must be comfortable with myself, which makes you realize how uncomfortable you are with yourself, which makes you want to roll down the window and ask me where I'm from and what I'm doing and where you would shut up. And then the first I'm just going through, okay, you're going to pull out a gun, whatever it takes to get you off your male ego and, and, and make you feel better. I'm going to do that. And great. Good on you. Get on. Get on your bike or whatever the fuck the British people say. And that was Belize Blues. The beat is hard. God's work. He also did Okie Dog. He's done many songs for me over the years. And hopefully he will be working with me on future projects. Next song is County Blues, which is the reason I moved back to Tucson the second time. I was living in a mid-city. I don't quite recall where, but I was, I remember being on Cloverdale and them calling me on my mobile, yeah, I think my StarTech cellular, Living Legends, they're up the street and they wanted me to go to these rappers' house that are LA rappers. And I was like, I don't wanna go over there. I don't fuck with them. If you're not from Mid-City or you're not in Living Legends, I'm not interested in collaborating with you or your, or my friend. Like I made friends with LP and Cannibal Ox because we weren't in the same scene. We weren't rivals. It was easy to make friends. Um, but at the time I still hadn't rapped with LP or Aesop or Cannibal. I was really like, I fuck with who I fuck with. I'm not going to cross any enemy lines or anybody that I think is a not a good human or you know, just so many reasons I didn't want to cross streams with other crews. And some of it's ego too, for sure. Uh insecurities. But I always knew that they were better rappers than me. I thought that they were better rappers than me. So they're like, please just come over. They're asking if you would come with us. And I'm like, I don't want to go. I'm on Cloverdale. I am kicking it, bro. I am chilling. Fuck it. You know, I am. I remember the outfit I was wearing. I was wearing blue, the blue Dada's with no socks, some fat farm, short denim jorts, no draws, a velour fat farm zip-up jacket with no shirt. That's how, like, hood I was. I walked over from my house to the block. I was getting drunk, smoking cigarettes. I was not trying to fucking go out and rap. Then I, come on, let's pick you up. I'm like, fuck it. Cool. We went over there. Um, No, you know what? That that was the first time. Sorry, this, I was, this wasn't that night. This was a, they took me to these rappers' house. I didn't do a song with them. The same rapper that I, I tried to battle before. Um, it's all like in within 18 months. I tried to battle battle before. So this is before the battle. Jeez. This is before these songs are out of order. Before the battle. And this is what led to the battle. 
the animosity had peaked after this night. I went over there. We played GoldenEye. I beat everybody in GoldenEye. I was like, let's just kick it. And then if we're friends, we could do a song later. They started trying to force me to do a song. I was like, I'm not rapping with y'all, but I'll play Bond and 007, GoldenEye. I fucked them all up in that. And they start talking about who could beat who in a battle. I was like, I'll beat anybody in your crew. I don't give a fuck. One post say, like, yeah, like Supernatural, maybe. And they're like, you think you could beat this person? I was like, yeah, I could beat this person. Yeah, you think I could? I was like, you know, everybody but Supernet. And I think Supernet is better than all of y'all. And it just got really intense. But I didn't give a fuck. Like, it's rap. Like, we're not talking street shit. Like, this is why I rap. So that we could talk shit without the fear of it getting physical or violent. You know? It's, you know, same way. Like, you know, you play sports. This is what we do. You know? Especially if you're from L.A., you always have the option to compete on a violent life or death level for something, if you want, for the streets. So if you're choosing to do something else, why bring that mentality? To me, that means you're a coward if you want to bring that into this realm. You got to reach over into that realm and bring it here. It means I feel the same way about LAFC, LA Galaxy. Like, we got to stab each other and, like, get close to death over soccer teams, you should just be a gangbanger. Like, you got that option. There's a million gangs you can join. So I didn't think anything of it, but apparently it felt some way which led to the spillover at the battle. <sighs> that should have been a sign. That night should have been a sign. They kind of set me up. Like, they brought me over there and I told dudes in living, I told Lucky and Grouch, like, look, if they start trying to pressure me to do a song, have my back and just let them know that I'm coming over to get familiar. I'm not coming over to com commit to any artistic endeavors and they didn't back me up they tried to shame me into being on the song if you know me i'm gonna do what i'm gonna do so they try to shame me so which made it even more awkward like your crew wants you to do it we want you to do it why don't you want to do it you think you better than us blah blah i'm like that's not i'm trying to just build a, a real actual friendship before we start being on songs and together and part of me was like, because when I was trying to be cool with y'all and do songs with y'all when i was just living in la y'all didn't want to do songs with me and I wasn't as good of a rapper then. I wasn't even that good at that point, but that's aside from the point. <laughs> or maybe that is the point. But anyway, then they call me another day and I have on the crazy, no draws, no shirt outfit, no socks. Uh, to this day, I don't leave the house with no draws, no socks on, no shirt on, because I think I'm going to go to jail. And that's what ended up happening. We go to this club where these LA rappers usually hang out. I'm with all my Crip friends and my ghetto friends, and hood friends, Cloverdale friends. They call me, you want to go to this thing? I'm like, fuck it. I'm wasted. I'm drunk already. I'm not doing shit here. We're playing video games. Let's go to Inglewood, to this club. We go to Inglewood, to this club. I swear it's this night that there's a young producer group in town called the Neptunes. They produced, I'm a record nerd, they produced a song called The Funeral for a group called The Clips, who recently had been dropped from East West or had been dropped from East West and I never heard of again, but I remember having the record and loving the instrumental. So a guy that I knew from my internship days was taking them around. He introduced me to them and I'm like, oh shit, I'm literally looking at Pharrell and Chad and I'm like, yo, that funeral shit? And they're like, oh shit, you know that? because they weren't doing anything huge yet. And uh, I was like, bro, man, that's just dope. And I don't know what else I said, I was drunk, but I do remember meeting them. I do remember stumbling out of the club. I remember having to go back from Inglewood to West LA, Midtown, and I had to pee. And there was an abandoned business, the kind of business where the fucking 
grass growing through the cracks in front of the building. There's barred up. The grass growing through the cracks in the bars is waist high. No one's opening this building. This building hasn't been open in years. It's an eyesore on the community. I have to pee. The club is closed. It's after two o'clock. We're in the hood. There's nowhere else to pee. I can't pee on myself. I've been drinking 151 since probably three in the afternoon. I go pee. Cops roll up. I said, but turn around. Yes, officer, how may I help you? What are you doing over there? Nothing. What are you doing? And I was always taught by the one friend I met that was a, what, not friend, a guy I knew, never lie to the police. So I'm like, fuck it, bro. Yeah, I was taking a piss. I was like, and he also like, this friend would inform me of my rights. So I was like, yo, like, I know it's a citation. Go ahead, write me a citation. I'm sorry. Where are you from? I'm from Mid-City. Well, this ain't Mid-City. This is Inglewood. And I'm going to take you to jail. For, I'm like, huh? You can do what? And then all the homies that I came with were just staring at me, looking at me, bro, looking at me. Now, just something that happened a couple of days before. I remember it vividly because it just happened. I was wondering, there was a 14-year-old that we knew in our hood, a little crip dude, outside smoking a beady that one of us gave him on the, on the side, on a corner. And uh, the police rolled up on him. Two cars trying to um, wrap them up. So we all come out of the house. We're a bunch of young men in the house, young black men. We see another younger black man getting fucked with. We're like, yo, what's going on here? And my big homie was like, um, he could read. This is the homie that told me he could read badges and all this shit. So he was like, or like stripes. So he's like, um, where's your where's your commanding officer? I know that I can ask for your commanding officer because this is a minor. We're going to inform his parents. His mom lives right here. We're going to take him in the house. She can handle this. This is not a this is not a, a matter for the police. We got this. Thank you, officer. And they try to push up on us, and then we all push back. Like, no, 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 no. Get your hands off of him. And we got him. And we like, yo, little whatever rock, go in the house. And then now it's just us and them and two cops. And it's like five, six, seven of us. And he's like, do you want to bring your commanding officer here to write a report and explain to us why you want to take the juvenile into custody, or do you want to get in your cars and go home? And they got in their cars and went, or go, you know, went whatever they were, got the fuck out of our face. So I'm expecting the same protection from these black men that I traveled to the club with. So I go to Inglewood Holy Self. You know anything about Inglewood? It's a predominantly blood neighborhood. I, at this point, I still didn't know there were any Crips in Inglewood. I've been enlightened since. Uh, I'm in the back of the car. I was probably talking shit to the cops because I remember getting in the car. He's like, why aren't you talking shit now? I'm like, well, now I'm in handcuffs. It's not really in most intelligent thing. If I like, if you would like to fight, as wrong as I am, I fight you. But I'm not about to keep talking when I'm I'm already in the handcuffs. It was so if I can want to provoke you to beat me while I'm hands behind my back. If I'm gonna provoke a fight, I'm gonna do it when I when I was standing on both my feet. That's what happened to all of the tough talk. Um, when I was ready to be tough, I can't be too tough in handcuffs. And uh, they took my belt. They took my uh, shoelaces. So now I have shoes, no laces, no socks. I have no drawers, no belt. This is still the 1900s, as my son says. My pants are falling off my ass and a baggy velour top. If I let go of my pants, they will fall down in jail, in, in county jail, holy tank. I'm in the holy tank. They take me in, fingerprint me. They ask me, am I in a gang? I was like, no, but I wouldn't put me in any cells with any bloods. <laughs> they said, uh, Crip on my jacket or my folder or whatever. They wrote Crip Affiliate 
scared of blood, fears blood retaliation, something like that. I was like, oh my God. I mean, also know if you tell them you're from a gang, then you are permanently on a gang file. That wasn't my case and I wasn't from a gang, but I definitely said cuz a lot and had on all, all, you know, in time of these dadas, these shoes, I wish we could show them. I guess I'm not even going to put this video out because I've been looking at this mic the whole time. Blue dadas with white graffiti letters that said dada. It's, it's a, a, it's a striation of blue from light blue to navy blue. And they had a red version that went from light, light red to dark red. And the Crips wore their shoes, Bloods wore these shoes. I had the Crip version of these shoes that every active black gangbanger that wanted to look fly had. Um, so I'm in Inglewood with, you know, the, the, the newest, newer version of Chucks. You know what I mean? Basically, like this lets people know what side of the coin you're on. So I have these on in a blue velour jacket. I think I think the stripe was burgundy, but still the shoes say it all. And I'm laying there thinking, fuck, I don't want to go to county in this. I don't want to go to county at all. If I make it out of Inglewood uh, without having to fight and have my pants fall down. Like, I'm, I, I, I might be ready to fight, but nigga, like, I got to, <laughs> my dick's going to come out as soon as that, that happens. And my pants around my ankles, that, I'm at a disadvantage as soon as I get into any altercation. Fuck me. They fingerprint me after that, and then they take me to take my uh, pictures, and I smile. And they're like, why are you smiling? Can you not smile? Like, you can't tell me not to smile in my mugshot. Fuck you. I'm like, fuck this, man. This is a joke, man. I'm in here for fucking pissing, bro. And uh, they're like, all right, you get a phone call. And I call my mom. They're like, why would you call your mother? I'm like, because obviously my homies don't give a shit about me or else I wouldn't be in this motherfucker. It's the only person in the world that gives a fuck about me. Uh, like, I don't, maybe they think I have a baby's mom and I go to jail all the time. Like, nah, I call my mom. A nigga, like, she's about to come make sure I get out this motherfucker in the morning. And uh, this is all said in the song. Hey, mom, they got me down at the substation and this punk ass CEO right here is testing my patience. Nah, mama, don't cry because it's not that serious. I'm drunk and I'm tired and a little bit delirious. But other than that, I'm going to be okay. It's just a misdemeanor and an overnight stay. Anyway, I had to call because you're the only person I can count on not to fail to make sure I don't get And I go to the cell, I lay down, and then as if it couldn't get any worse. <sighs> A dude from my old crew log cabin, who I hated at the time, I couldn't stand. It was a lot for me to not want to assault this individual every time I saw him. We all got in that huge fight at the promenade. He didn't fight. He's just, just I didn't, I didn't like his. Listen to be more involved. I didn't care for his energy. Of all people, all nights, I guess he was at the club too because hip hop scene is still small. He got arrested for drunk driving. So he's in there throwing up in the fucking cell next to mine because we're still downstairs at booking kind of. And he's like, I'm like, who's throwing up? And I don't know, it's probably four or five in the morning. So they brought in powdered eggs and it almost made me Earl too because I was fucking like, you know, in hangover area because they didn't give us any water. Um, started to get the shakes, headaches, like 151 since three o'clock that day. I, I was pretty fucked up. He's throwing up in the cell, and they're like, oh, Merz, is that you, bro? I'm like, fuck you. But I did see him get jumped. It was so bad that a, a friend of mine told me one day, I was at a store, he was like, yo, I know you don't like such and such. He's about to get fucked up tonight because he did X, Y, and Z. 
if you want to come to this show tonight, you'll get to see him get fucked up. So I went. I, I didn't like to do some. I went to watch him get fucked up, and I watched him take a couple shots to the dome. So now we're in jail together. I've seen him get his just desserts. I didn't have to dish it out. He got I, this should be justice. So I, at this point, I'm like, I gotta forget this dude. Like, what was? I was like, of all the people in the world to be locked, I couldn't be locked up with any of the guys that I came with. And my thing is like, for my neighborhood, you go out. You go to, you shoot together, you fight together, you die together, you go to jail. You, we do it all together. That is one of the things about gang culture. It's still very tribal, and I respect that. If something happens, it happens to all of us. Or we're putting on all of the, the The odds of it happening to all of us are there. There was one officer that took me to jail tonight. There was five people in the car. There were four other individuals that could have stepped up and done something to make that one officer call for backup. And we all go to jail. Or they pro- he probably would just back off. You show force, it's not worth the paperwork for them. It's not worth, they're scared of us anyway. They are going to go home because they have a home that's probably nicer than all of our homes. They're trying to get to their home. That white man does not want to do the paperwork or get the chance of getting fucked up out on the streets of Inglewood tonight. He's trying to make a point. You motherfuckers let it happen. Now, the only person I'm in jail with is this motherfucker over here. Pass out. I wake up. They take me upstairs to the holding tank. I'm like, man, I always thought that they kept the murderers separate from the drunk people. I'm in there with some drunk immigrant dudes who don't speak a lot of English. Big, big, you know, like, I guess it's a day room kind of thing. One toilet that's metal in the middle of the room. Now, I haven't been to jail, but, you know, like I know about courtesy flushes. Thank God, like I've been educated on certain things the phone, all that shit. I don't need to use the phone. I got my phone call. I know my mom's going to show up for my court date. I don't need bail. I don't have any reason to fuck with the phone. They then, everything's cool. Dude I know, the rapper dude I don't like is there. I'm not really talking to him yet. I haven't fully made peace with the idea. The 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 immigrant Latino dudes, like I'm not, no problems with them. A couple other random dudes in there, no problems. Then the orange jumpsuit niggas come here from county. These are people who may have felony, violent felonies, murder charges, whatever, other places, but they have misdemeanors and warrants from Inglewood Court. So they get brought from wherever to go to their court date that day. There's an individual, grown man, who has an orange jumpsuit on, who sees me standing up against the wall, comes over to me, looks me up and down, turns around, unzips his jumpsuit, takes it off to his waist so that I can see the name of his hood tattooed. He puts his elbows um, at shoulder height, tucks them into his chest, shows me his whole back tattoo with his back turned to me. So if I did have a rival, if I was from a rival gang, he was ready to take off on me. I'm, or let me take off on him and then fight. He was ready to let me have the, the first hit. Zipped up his jumpsuit, turned around, said, where are you from? I said, I don't bang. All right. Looking at my shoes, he knew he had made his point. I'm assuming he was a blood. I did not read his tattoos. I'm just not looking at another man's body that closely, nor did I have. I'm not in that game, so I don't give a fuck. I say cuz because it's just like, bro, dude, if you grow up with a, a country dude that says, hey, little buddy, buddy, you're going to grow up saying buddy. You know, like the big cool dude in your hand calls you partner. John Wayne said partner. Howdy, partner. A lot of people said partner. I said cuz because the cool dudes in my neighborhood, the big dudes, the, the men in my neighborhood, without a father figure, these are the people that talk. And this is how they talk. This is how I talk. 
people from New York say son, God, yo, money, word, all that. Yeah, yo, son, that's the equivalent of son to me. It doesn't come with, I hate anyone who wears red and I want to kill them. It just means a term of endearment for from just like the N-word. So I'm like, all right. And I know when to say it and when not to say it, just like I don't use the N-word for everybody. I don't use cuss to talk to it. It's just anybody. When I feel comfortable and it's a setting that allows for it, that's I let my guard down. At my core, that is how I talk and who I am. So I, you know, didn't have any reason to have an altercation with this dude. Dude goes and sit down. Um, there's another dude in there. They come in, they go out. And another dude comes in and he has on the he has on the red dadas. He has a black velour jacket on. He's the opposite of me. His black or burgundy pants on. Immediately sees my dadas. I see his. He comes up to me, where are you from? I don't bang. All right, then blood. He goes to sit down. They bring in the a next breakfast, lunch. I think it's lunch at this point. It's ham sandwich, fruit punch, and I always hear, don't drink the juice in the county. It makes you sterile. I don't drink the juice. I'm dehydrated. Oh, and it's cold as shit. If you've ever been in jail, it's this concrete room with wooden benches on the wall. Or maybe they're steel or concrete. I don't know. Benches along the wall, concrete floor, cold as fuck in a metal toilet with no toilet seat. Now I have diarrhea. I have the morning hangover shits. I put my tray down. I go, shit. I'm trembling, shaking, ill-ass diarrhea. Every man in the room has to see me. I can't have any drawers to cover up my dick. So I just, my jeans are down. My dick and my ass is out. I'm not trying to, I'm holding up my velour jacket so it doesn't get shit on it. And I have like violent, explosive hangover, 151 diarrhea. I do courtesy flushes. Some motherfuckers, I, I, I'm acting like I have some type of penitentiary training. Get up, wipe my ass, wash my hands, go over. I'm going to eat my apple. At this point, I'm shaking so bad, I drop my apple. When my apple falls, I haven't had anything in my body since the night before. So going on 12 hours, probably, at this point. I drop my apple, and what does my dumb ass say? By habit, tired, I don't have my guard up. In a jail cell in Inglewood, I say, oh, cuz, when I drop my apple. The Latino dudes who only speak Spanish, it seems, Stop talking. The whole cell goes quiet. Even they know that I fucked up. Because the other blood is there who asked me if I banged earlier and said, nah, and it's cool. And then, oh, they said, then what you in here for? Pissing, oh, you gonna be home, blood. Like, cool. He was cool. As soon as he said, like, you're not cribbing in here. You're not banging. Cool, you're good. I say, oh, cuz, when I drop the apple, by the grace of God, he was on his phone yelling at, on the phone, yelling at his baby's mom or something. Bitch, as he would say. Bitch, blah, 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 and didn't even hear it. Oh, Jesus. That could have been the end of my fucking day. Because that's an altercation. At that point, I have to fight him. COs come in. Now I have assault. I'm going to county after that. No longer am I just in here for, as far as my understanding of it goes. Now, they can't keep me over the weekend. And it was a holiday weekend. I forgot, I forgot to say it was like Labor Day weekend or something. So I was Friday night, Labor Day weekend. So I was going to have to stay. The judge didn't see me on Friday. I was going to have to go to county for the weekend and come back on Tuesday to Inglewood Court or something crazy like that, I think. This is my fear. It could be wrong. He didn't hear it, thankfully. They shackle us up all together. We go into the court, sitting in a little box. Asked me to stand up. The judge reads the charges. She says, blah, 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 penal code, blah, 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 blah. 
blah, 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 go, blah, 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 giving all the sentences. You're going to go here. You're going to go here. You're going to do this. Gavel, gavel, gavel. It gets to me. Nicholas, Neil Carter, uh, blah, 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 penal code. And she doesn't know it. She's rattling off all the penal codes, knows them by heart. Black judge. I'm looking at my mom, tears in my eyes, tears in her eyes. It's a ridiculous scene, something I never want to do. You can listen to the song. I talk about all that shit. I'm relatively a good kid. I smoke with sell a little weed, sell a little weed, still a couple things right on some walls, but I'm not nowhere near the shit that my brothers are into and my neighbors are into and my friends are into. So I'm a good kid. It's a bad moment. She gets to this penal code. She doesn't know what it is. And she's like, uh, and she goes, <clears throat> like chuckling. <clears throat> Public urination? Then she says the craziest thing I ever heard, because she says, sentence to 24 hours or one day. And I'm like, fuck, that one day goes into Saturday, which goes into Sunday, which goes into Monday, which means I'm going on the bus to county that everybody's talking about. Fuck me. And it seemed like an eternity before she said, she probably took two, half a second. It said 24 hours or one day, sentence, I sentenced to him one day, Time served, but there was a space. She took a breath. I don't know what she did, but the, your honor took a breath and it scared the shit out of me. I saw my life flash before my eyes. Then she said, time served. So I said, oh, I'm going home. Went back to the cell. Now they separate me from the people that are going back to wherever. And I go downstairs with a bunch of other dudes, mostly drunks, crackheads. They're like, what you doing here, young man? Oh, youngster, what you here, young blood? Okay, yeah, you gonna go home. What you in here for? Blah, 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 blah. I find out these motherfuckers know everything about the penal system. Then they start talking about their hustle of, hey, man, yeah, like, yeah, they picked me up. I was, oh, man, I was making about, you know, you know, five, $500 a day sometimes painting. Um, they have a hustle. They act like they work for the city or whatever, and they paint your address on your curb. Talking about that hustle, like, are they... Exchanging hustles and, and ways to get over and welfare schemes and blah, blah. And I'm just like, let me go home. Um, standing next to one of the older young dudes, black men. They line us up in the um, garage beneath the Inglewood or in the Inglewood, uh, whatever courts. I see the door I'm about to walk out of, the big ass door. They're opening, they're about to let me go. But then there's this little Latino sheriff dude. Oh, man. I don't know how he identified. Very, uh, I'm, I don't know. Sounded like a bitch. So we sitting there talking, me and the old old, old timer, like we just talking. We going home, we about to get out. Like you guys, yo, I'm gonna get some cigarettes. I'll get you a cigarette. Something like shit, whatever. When I get out, oh, where you staying? Which way you heading? What you gonna hop on the bus? You gonna hop, blah, 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 blah. Can I get a ride? Something, whatever. And he goes, shut up. Everybody in line, shut the fuck up. And I couldn't help once again. I'm on edge. I don't have my guard up. I haven't slept. I fucking hung over. I said, nigga, what? He said, what the fuck did you say to me? And I said, nigga. And I jumped at him. And the old timer had to hold me back. And he grabbed me. said, young blood. Grab my hand. Grab my, like, my upper arm. My bicep. Like, oh, come on. He's like, you are going home. He's like, you want to get on? He's like, and then the guy took over. I'll send you to county right now. I'll put you on that motherfucking bus right now. You say one more fucking word. And he's in my face spitting like, fuck out. And like, but he's shorter than little porky pig looking fuck. I remembered his name for so long because I wanted to fuck him up. And he just, the, the old timer just held on to me, held on to me and like calmed me down, centered me. And they, his superior officer made him start loading people on the bus for county. 
Cause and he may reaffirm the fact that this is a holiday weekend and how long. Oh yeah, and like that's what the the old time was telling me. He was like, you know, like they standing up, like they overbooked. Like it's gonna be a twenty four hours before you even get booked. You're gonna be sitting there waiting, intake and blah. He's explaining all this shit to me. And I'm like, I don't want to go there. And so he's holding me. He's reminding me of that, and I walk out. I had a low rider bike I had just bought, a new Schwinn and some other shit. I was like, I don't want anything to do with anything gang related, criminal related. I was in that cell looking at these men talking about painting addresses on the curb for money. And I had a tour coming up that if I didn't get to my flight on Tuesday morning, I was going to miss. This is before I missed my first tour to Japan. This was going to, this is, like I said, it's all out of disjointed, but um, I was going to miss my flight to Japan. I was like, I have a flight to Japan. Most of these motherfuckers can't even show you Japan on a map, probably. Why am I fucking around like this? Why am I even in this situation? I'm fucking up. And it's take something Walker Martin used to say to us all the time. You fucking up? You fucking up? And I, was, I could hear him tell me, you fucking up? I was like, man, I'm, I'm fucking up. I'm really finally Walker's right. I'm fucking up. I don't need to go out to clubs unless I'm performing. I'm just on some different shit. I'm on some completely, I'm going to be with a, on some complete shit or some complete business shit. I can't fuck with this shit in between. I know how to do business and I know how to be in the streets. I'm not to dominate in the streets, but I understand the streets. I don't understand this rap shit. I don't understand it. Because all high school popularity shit, like I never was into all that shit. And the popular kids hang out with these kids and we do songs with these people. Like I'm, if you do money or you do music I like and you're a good person, I fuck with you. Let's make some money. Let's do some music. Let's create some art and market it and do it. If not, um, if I'm going to hang out, drink, smoke, fuck around, I'm going to do it with motherfuckers that do it by the same code and, and and laws I got. Or, you know, are we getting money off the books? I'm going to do it with y'all. The middle shit that this was the point. The irony of this is this song was produced by Ant of Atmosphere. And we did it at the end of the God Loves Ugly tour. And it supposedly didn't really like many people. I say that I don't like many people, but I think that I have ability to get along with a lot of people. But me and Ant somehow connected. And uh, he brought me to his house and he's... Uh, and you know, no disrespect to him, um, but Ant always struck me as an older black man. And I think he's like half black or quarter black. I don't know. You know, the dudes in atmosphere are not white guys. Sorry to burst your bubble. But he had a, at the time he was dating a um, black woman. You know, they played dominoes, drank beer, smoked cigarettes. Once again, these are things I feel comfortable with. Staying in the house, watching sports, playing video games, playing dominoes, drinking, smoking, talking shit. This is shit that I, I'm comfortable around. I don't need to go out and be seen and look cool and none of that shit. If I'm working, I'm working. If I'm not, I'm chilling. And this is how I chill. That's how Ant chilled. So he got me at the house. Ali just reminded me that me and Ali had a song that we did over there. We were battling each other. And I'll never know what happened to that four-track tape. But Ant had this traditional hip-hop basement with all these records of four-track beats. And that's where he gave me this beat. I wrote it there at his house, and then he came up with, Mama put the house up so I could bounce up out this motherfucker. And he told me to say it like that. And it was one of the best hooks I had ever had on the album at that point. One of the best hooks I had ever done. Mom, they locked me in the jail cell for pissing in public. Put your house up so I can bounce up. Out this motherfucker. That's why I love you. Mama, put your house up so I can bounce up. Out this motherfucker.
because um, he's a real producer. It's one of my first times working, I don't say real producer, one of my first times working with someone who really produced me. I had worked with producers, but they hadn't produced me. He produced me. Say it like this, don't say that. And it's still a horrible verse, but it's a cute story. I needed to get that story off. If, short, if fuck with um, Varsity Blues, because I had this idea for this album, and I've been putting it together over the years, and County Blues worked and was a great producer. He also gave me a beat for End of the Beginning. So Belief did, Ant did, this was this was the way. So we recorded, you know, me and Ant and his girlfriend at the time playing dominoes, smoking cigarettes, drinking Budweiser or whatever we were drinking. Good people, good times. Um, around this time, I had been on the God Loves Ugly tour with Brother Ali, <sighs> uh, BK1, Jaybird, and Atmosphere, which was Mr. Dibbs and Slug at the time. I don't know when we're going to tell those stories. It's not really relevant to this at the at this point, but at some point we're going to have to unpack that tour. Next song is Riders Blues featuring PSC. Underboss, take a trip to where you can't see and control the scenes with the puppet strings invisible. I seen dreams shattering the shards. Laid a trick deck of cards where the hearts were all edibles. I press hard. This was recorded. In Australia, I believe, we had a hotel in Australia. We had, I think this is the time we had three shows. We used to do Melbourne, Adelaide, and Sydney. Fly halfway across the world. Earlier, we had come with Grouch, around Mercer's World area era. We had come with Grouch, Sunspot, Mystic Journey. Yeah, Mystic Journey made Grouch and me. This time, it was just me and Lucky. We had met some girls. I had met a girl that I have been, I have fallen in love with from Adelaide and we had kept in touch. I gave her my Parappa the Rapper watch. I don't know if I regret it, um, but I think I do because uh, I never got it back. And I would talk to this girl all the time on the phone in America. He met a girl. He would talk to her. We decided to book some shows, just me and him, and go down to Australia. Not for a lot of money, but to cover our hotels so we could see our girls. We got adjoining suites at a hotel in Melbourne and, no, in Sydney. Sorry, in Sydney, because we were going to Bondi a lot. Sorry. I think it was Melbourne or Sydney. I don't remember. But I'm going to say it's Sydney. And you could close the door in the hallway, and then it was our two rooms in that corner. So we could close that, close the door to the hallway and open up both our rooms during, like, we had, like, a little two-bedroom Two bathroom with a two living room, part two bedroom, two bathroom. The living room was in Lucky's room, apartment basically was. I think we had a kitchen in downtown Sydney. It was the shit or Melbourne, wherever we were. I'm gonna say I'm gonna keep saying Sydney though. And I had an Osiris backpack that had speakers in it. We played Snoop's The Last Meal had just come out, so we were playing Snoop Dogg. Loud as fuck walking down the street in the loonies and all kind of, I think the silver and black album by the loonies. We're playing that. I'm a raider. 
I'm a raider from the bay to LA to Las Vegas. I'm a player, a boss player. If you with me, I'll be college shaking haters. Man, that shit. Ooh. And how how crazy is that? They were pretty 20 years ahead of their time predicting that the Raiders go to Las Vegas, from the Bay to LA to Las Vegas. That song's still relevant and slap, even though I'm not a Raiders fan. Cause I'm a Raider, Oakland Raider, from the Bay to LA to Las Vegas. Cause I'm a player, a boss player. And if you with me, pop your collar, shake them haters. I'm a Raider, Oakland Raider, from the Bay to So we're, I was obnoxious. West Coast, half a crib, walking down the street. Blaring Snoop Dogg's sugar-free DJ Quick out of my backpack. So we had to, yeah, we had to be down there around that time. New Year's, maybe 2000, going in 2001, probably New Year's shows. Me and my girlfriend are in love, holding hands, eating well, making love, having fun. Loving going to the beach. We're going to Bondi Beach. We're just, it's just, man, Australia's beautiful. Sydney's beautiful. Melbourne's beautiful. Adelaide's beautiful. It's a beautiful time. My girlfriend comes from Adelaide. Stay with me. We met a guy named DJ Bones, who was dope with beats. We did two songs, Under Bosses, Keep It Poppin'. And we did, uh, we did Writer's Blues. This beat slaps. It is amazing. First, you know, basically it's about being depressed, um, Sessions of depression got me stressing something awful. Sessions of depression got me stressing something awful. My family, your friends, and their smiles and their stuff, but it really don't help. The enemies in the mirror, and I can't face myself. I pray for help, but these drugs ain't working. Doctors don't know shit. That's the only thing that's certain. Feel like I'm about to die when my chest starts hurting. And I'm thinking that it's curtains, cause the Xanax they prescribe don't help control my vibe. I'ma live hip hop till the day that I die. Cause making this good music is all that keeps me alive. Uh, it's just the way that we ride, ride. Um, so this is when I'm trying to stop drinking, um, trying to get it, get it together. Xanax, I was finally talking about Xanax. Um, so yeah, this is probably, so yeah, yeah, right after I have my nervous breakdown, I have finally started going um, to see a psychiatrist and they gave me the pills, which I got on right in good time. I found the right pills, but Xanax wasn't working. Then I got on uh, Paxil. And there's one more I forgot. And one of them, I think Paxil was the one we ended up on. I went through a couple, went through Xanax. I didn't even feel shit. Um, um, but Paxil was the one that finally stopped me from having panic attacks and being a, feeling normal. But then I couldn't, it was hard for me to orgasm to say that. I don't know. I'm just talking honestly if motherfuckers are out there, um, which isn't a problem, but it is a problem. You know what I mean? Like, I'm used to being able to please myself and also have, find sex pleasing. But if you're not able to reach that point, it fucks you up, especially if you're a young man. My only therapist, so, like, I'm still using music as my therapist. I haven't yet gone to group therapy, which helped tremendously. One-on-one -on -one therapy didn't wasn't really working for me. Pills weren't working for me, but I was trying. So me talking about having panic attacks. Yeah, that was, um, that was about it. Yeah, December, I said going to New Year's, it was we were going to the beach and everything because in 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 Australia it's winter. It is our summer, our summer is their winter, whatever. And uh the toilets flush the opposite direction. Bones was talented. Shout out to Bones. I just found him on Instagram. I can't follow anybody on Instagram because I have over 7,500 friends, but I this next song is called a Friends Balloons. 
Now when you're young, death can make you aware of your mortality At times we feel invincible, lose sight of reality Until it takes a loved one, residing in our circle It'll hurt you cause you miss them once we're close Now you're distant and it hurts just to know that they could go at any instant Gotta love them by the minute, now you realize this It's sad it takes a loss to appreciate the gift So celebrate the occasion, just breathing is amazing and it's mostly about um, the young lady that passed away and just losing people. I lost a couple other people. A young man that I was an acquaintance of um, went on vacation and, and died at the beach, um, drowned. He was just an acquaintance, but it was just my first one of my first times also seeing someone. He was in college, like had something going for them and died. Like, okay, you get shot, you're from the hood, you're a gangbanger, whatever. You sell dope, you got pop, is what it is sucks but it's still what it is you know but for a, a young man at college to that that shit hit me um and just being an acquaintance somebody i knew in passing uh then yeah, the homegirl passing away it made me really think about things differently and friendships and how valuable they were and being in in tucson is where i found a lot of just real friendships that weren't based on who you knew or rap or just i just met people who liked anime skateboarding like the shit I liked in, in Tucson is like, and then you can go out and just be normal and have a drink and hear the songs you like and go home and be safe. The police don't fuck with you. Like, it's just, it's different, you know, building friendships. I had also moved to Orange County. The person who did this beat was the homie Justin Martin, who also produced Transitions as a writer. And he worked at Liberty Board Shop, which was an amazing skateboard shop in Orange County. I went there. I don't know how I wound up there. But they were all fans and they would hook us up with skate shit. And I was like, holy shit, this is the love that I wanted to get as a kid from FTC that I never got. Um, Liberty Borshaw, shout out to Matt Pendrell, James Craig, uh, Justin Martin, Aaron, uh, Cassidy, who now is doing Rasta Cloud, doing big things. Ah, man, I'm missing so many people. Evan, Danny Garcia, Gershon Mosley, say James Craig, um, Ronnie Krieger was around. The whole blind team. This is the beginning of me meeting them. Like, I was making just friends. Like, oh, shit, like, we're adults and we hang out and we do things. And Justin, who did the beat, was one of those friends. And I was starting to lose friends and it was just a time. So that's where the song came from. The beginning of, like I said, me being able to get into skateboarding in a way that being a kid in Linwood, I wasn't able to. And meet pro skaters and learn things. And I think we'll get into the pro skater stories and all that stuff in the next episode. This... Next song is called The Deepest Blue, produced by Black Panther. I believe he's from New York, and I don't remember how I met him. He's an amazing producer. I am going to die, and I've come to terms with that. But the wind, where and how's where my concern is at. It's fucked up that I'll be dead once I've learned all of that. Fact is, we mustn't fear it, for fear is the mind killer. Realize you're born to die, and there ain't nothing ill of this. Life in this death, all else is just filler, so that's it. I don't like my raps. I loved the beat and I wanted to use it. It was kind of like drum and bassy to me. Um, but it's just talking about coming to grips with the fear of death um, and what brought on my anxiety, things like that. Um, yeah, I remember like at that time, I'm still writing. It's just funny still seeing myself writing raps. I can still see how I wrote that rap. I knew I wanted it to be the last song on the Varsity Blues EP. I wrote that one when I was still living in LA living in this one bedroom where I had a mattress and a box spring because I didn't know how much mattresses cost my first time spending four or $500, $450 or something like that on a mattress. That was my rent in Tucson. 
had a kitchen with one like mini fridge with Vegemite that I used to play pranks on people and make them um, <laughs> make them try it. Uh, so amazing! The first time you ever try Vegemite, make sure you try it. Just take a whole spoonful and try it. It's great, it's tasty. I had the same blue couch that I moved with me to Orange County and a Dreamcast and a TV that sat on the floor. Bed on the floor, TV on the floor, Dreamcast, one couch, one mini fridge. That was the life I was living and and a pistol. I had a living room with no furniture and I was just living raw. So getting, I bought a dining set when I moved to Orange County. Like it was a course of all blue dining set on my blue couch. That's where we recorded Felt One. So maybe that's a good time to start telling Felt One stories. Deepest Blue is just about, like I said, the fear of death and dealing with it. The raps are horrible. I'm not in the pocket. The beat is phenomenal. A lot of the problems with my rapping on this is I'm still rapping super aggressive. When I'm talking about depression, I shouldn't be so attacky. I shouldn't have so many overdubs. I needed to be produced more. I think you could tell that uh, on the writer's blues that were ant produced, I mean, county blues were ant produced me. I didn't have a lot of overdubs. And when I do 316, knife just doesn't allow me to do them. And I'm so grateful for that. The overdubs fuck it up. I think the mixes aren't where I would like them to be, but we're all kids trying to create. Um, so I don't fault anyone but myself. Uh, maybe some of these I mixed and some of these Todd mixed. Um, Todd Mumford, shout out to him. It was just fucking raw ass talking about shit that no one was talking about at the time. Talking about therapy, depression, feelings, anxiety. This was very new to rap at this point. And I'm definitely one of the first to like call out. Those feelings have been there, those themes have been there, but like by name calling out some of these conditions hadn't been there. And this whole EP was for that. And I don't know if any colored boys who considered suicide were saved by it, but it saved me. My personal therapy.